From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence, powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, The National Conversation. It's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, November 8th through Friday, November 12th, 2021. It was a week marked by fear of inflation, politics, fear of inflation, the pandemic, fear of inflation, climate change, fear of inflation, China, fear of inflation, a murder trial in Kenosha, fear of inflation, the infrastructure, fear of inflation, race relations, fear of inflation, and a tragic concert in Houston and fear of inflation. We're about to embark upon a bold hour of Black Belt Talk Radio, during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, righties, and fence-sitters. Try not to get angry. Just listen with a degree of educated skepticism. We'll hear from Claire Carter on The Electric Grid, Richard Neer on Aaron Rodgers, Steve Weissman on The Rittenhouse Trial, Joel Madison on Race Relations, and Brian Kilmeade also on Race Relations. Welcome to the power-packed one-hour radio show featuring opinionated yappers from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations as well as the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do their daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Rap. Heard coast to coast and around the world on great radio stations in the U.S. and the U.K. The past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media and played out in the theater of your mind. Information's gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Fasten your seat crane CC earbuds. Speaking of which, this installment of the Michael Harrison Rap is sponsored in part by Seat Crane, makers and distributors of great radios. Visit their website site at ccrane.com or give them a call at 800-822-8863. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10 this week, Veterans Day and VA issues. Thursday was Veterans Day and it became the focal point of conversation about ongoing problems that have been facing veterans in America for years. According to Talker's research, more and more attention is being paid to Veterans Day year after year, with Americans becoming increasingly aware of the difference between this particular holiday and the higher profile Memorial Day, which takes place in May. At number nine, foreign affairs with a focus on U.S.-China relations. A number of issues are brewing around the world regarding U.S. foreign affairs. Vice President Kamala Harris's visit to France was an attempt to smooth out America's relationship with President Macron and France, whose feathers are still ruffled over the sub-snub incident. But U.S.-China relations remains the focus of conversation about global issues facing this country. At number eight, the Astroworld tragedy tied with the Rust case. At the time of this program's production on Friday, the death toll resulting from the crowd surge at the Houston Travis Scott concert has increased to nine. As the dust settles on this horrific, tragic event, a ton of legal issues are emerging, and you can be sure this is going to play a major role in how concerts of this size are viewed and planned going forward. At number seven, a tie between race relations and immigration reform. Speaking of crowds and disasters, the southern border continues to be the scene of an escalating humanitarian crisis calling for immediate action. 
election and a revamping of U.S. immigration policy. Conversation about race relations this past week has centered on school board politics and controversy over voting rights legislation, both on the State House and Capitol Hill levels. We'll be talking today with a leading African-American radio talk show host who's gone on a hunger strike, which he vows will continue until at least one voting rights protection bill is passed into law by Congress. At number six, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Kenosha, Wisconsin is the scene of a very complex homicide trial that kicked off this week involving the young armed man who shot and killed two alleged looters and wounded another during racial protests and unrest in that city last year. The combination of intense media coverage and hyper-political polarization has made this trial somewhat of a legal circus. Even the judges on the hot seat for cracking an arguably inappropriate joke about Asian food and the supply chain slowdown. At number five, climate change. The finishing up of the COP26 climate change summit in Glasgow, Scotland this past week remained the focal point of conversation about what many in America and the world consider to be the most important existential issue facing human society at this moment in history. The U.S. has received tremendous criticism from other nations, friends and foes alike, for inconsistent positions on dealing with the issue from administration to administration. Yes, democracy can seem unstable to governments that embrace authoritarian At number four, Trump and GOP politics. Former President Donald Trump continues to bang the drum about 2020 election fraud as he is keeping everyone guessing about his own presidential ambitions. Looking forward to 2024, with concern growing over what impact his influence over the GOP will have on the party's chances of retaking control of Congress in 2022. Many party insiders are privately referring to Trump's significant influence over his base to be both a political blessing as well as a curse. At number three, the January 6th investigation tied with the impact of social media on journalism. The House Select Committee has issued 10 more subpoenas to former Trump administration officials, including former White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany and senior advisor Stephen Miller. And the heat continues to build on former President Trump, whose efforts to withhold evidence about his activities during the attack on the nation's capital based on executive privilege have been thwarted by the federal judiciary. At number two, COVID-19 vaccines, masks, mandates and the Aaron Rodgers controversy. So much of the conversation about COVID-19 remains intensely political and polarized. The quarterback of the Green Bay Packers is the latest celebrity to get entangled in the vaccine issue, which has prompted him to complain that he's being crucified by the media and the woke crowd. At number one this week, inflation, the supply chain, the labor shortage, and economic politics. The economy took the top spot this week in the national conversation. Speaking of heat, the Biden administration is certainly feeling it. Inflation, now at a 31-year high, is growing as the main political issue of the moment as Americans become increasingly worried about how the rapid escalation of food, housing, and fuel prices will impact their ability to make it on their current incomes, savings, and budgets. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. As mentioned earlier, the economy is the most talked about subject of this past week on news talk shows across America, with inflation fears topping the list of subcategories that also include problems with the supply chain and a confounding labor shortage. A ton of money has already been allotted by the approved portion of the Biden budget to repair and rebuild the nation's infrastructure. But there's an aspect of the infrastructure that many folks feel is not getting the level of attention it deserves, and that's the electric grid. 
Joining us now is a talk media commentator who's been ahead of the curve on this topic for years, the host of Good For You Radio and founder of the Good For You Network, Claire Carter. So what are your thoughts as uh, the national conversation is full of conversation about the, um, the infrastructure and the expenditure of money to uh, bring it up to speed in a way that will help the economy and help the infrastructure? Well, you know how interested I am in terms of the electric grid itself, uh, safety and security, as well as reliability. You want to make sure energy is going to be available and affordable. But number one is safety and security. So I think the concern is these bills are so big, Michael. There's so many hundreds of pages. Even the people voting for them haven't read it all. So it's hard to know for sure. You know, I wish... Just the electric grid was a separate bill, and we could see where's the comprehensive plan that's going to fix the grid. Um, I was talking to uh, Peter Pry, who is an expert on the grid, and he was the former chief of staff of a congressional EMP commission, and he said there's money there for EMP protection studies, electromagnetic pulse energy, which is like an explosion that could bring down the grid from either a nuclear device um, something like that. And what's really needed is not so much more studies, but the program to protect the grid. So that's part of it is really just not knowing, mm. you know, are we going to be protecting the grid? And, um, and money's going to be there for more power transmission lines, which is good. But is the grid reliable enough? Is it going to be putting more of a strain on the grid? How do we fix the foundation first? As you're speaking, I'm thinking this is not just an infrastructure and an economic situation. This is a, um, a national defense, a, a national security uh, situation, as well as, um, you know, building bridges and paving roads and making everything work well and, and creating jobs. So we're talking about a, a, a very, very crucial defense issue. And... Um, the other thing that you bring up that I find fascinating because it's so much a commentary on the times, and that is the fact that these darn bills are so big, so many thousands and thousands of pages, that you know damn well that reporters, investigators, journalists, and Congress persons are not taking the time. Maybe they don't have the time. Maybe they don't even have the intellectual capability of focusing on so many thousands of pages and words. And that leads to, what, incompetence? It leads to, uh, it leads to corruption. Uh, so I, I think that you're absolutely right that this whole issue of nobody having the time or taking the time to read these bills, and then when they're buried in with something else that's even bigger and more complicated, it's almost like we're having the national conversation with a giant case of brain fog. Well, let me give you a point. Nancy Pelosi famously said about the Affordable Care Act, we have to pass it to know what's in it. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. You need to know what's in it in order to pass it. Isn't that the way it should be? Yes. But... Imagine if you signed a contract and you didn't read it before you signed it. What if we had every congressperson have to sign their signatures that they actually read the entire bills? Maybe the bills would be shorter, or maybe there'd be more standalone bills, like one just for the infrastructure. You're talking about the safety and security of the grid. There are so many vulnerabilities to the grid. So let's give an example. There was a Pennsylvania electric grid. There was a drone attack, we're now told, last year. Now, it wasn't successful, but drones are very highly available. So now our infrastructure, our electric grid, is vulnerable to drone attacks. Our electric grid is also vulnerable to something called killware. And I remember a USA Today cover story. The next big cyber threat in America is killware. 
And they interviewed Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas, and he said, the attempt to hack of a water treatment facility, this was in February 2021, in Florida, demonstrated the grave risks that malicious cyber activity poses to public health and safety. The attacks are increasing in frequency, he said, and gravity. Cybersecurity must be a priority for all of us. And yes, there is money in the bill for cybersecurity, but saying it and talking about it is different from where's the plan today? Also, you know, with all of this increase in power of transmission lines, and we're going to have a lot more electric cars and electric charging stations, more dependence on electricity, can the grid withstand it? Five years, 10 years, 15 years, do we have that kind of time? You mentioned uh, all of these extra uh, electrical sources and and need for uh, electricity. People tend to think that because cars are electric and because electric is replacing, in some cases, combustion engines or or coal or gas or, or whatever, that somehow it's clean, efficient, and it comes out of the air. But in many cases, the electricity, in order for it to be generated to deal with all of these cars on the road, has to come from someplace other than electricity. And uh, there's a vicious cycle attached to this that also is not clear in terms of the the national conversation. So you're onto something um, very important. Um, Well, you build power transmission lines, and then they're vulnerable. And you're cutting down trees to put roads in and electric lines. It's not as all simple as, um, you know, what it may appear. But also my major concern has always been electromagnetic pulse is generated by a nuclear-tipped device that explodes over our atmosphere. It can be generated by a solar storm. We don't have the technology yet to know in advance to shut down our grid because a solar storm is about to hit planet Earth. Um, So what are we going to do about that? That somehow, to me, has always been priority one in case there are bad actors out there that want to hurt us electromagnetic pulse energy is that explosion we have to protect from yeah yeah and that could easily and i don't know that this bill does that when when does it mm. you know a lot of good things that are in it but we don't know it's so expensive and it's so big you want to protect against fraud waste and mismanagement but you also want to protect in terms of the grid there was a retired brigadier general johnny johnson and i read he said the bill this bill would essentially grant public access to some details about our power grid about our infrastructure and this key information hmm. would be available to adversaries who are done. seeking to attack us. That's amazing. So there's so many moving parts here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, final question for you, and this is basically just your opinion, although I know that everything you do is backed up with research. Um, quite often, quite often, almost all the time, we you know talk about closing the barn door after the cow has escaped or the, or the horse ran mm-hmm. off. You got it. Um, it. It really appears as though we're dealing with such a situation. Do you think from your studies on this topic, and you've been ahead of the curve on this for years beyond most people in talk media, do you think it's inevitable that we're going to have a crisis down the road? Let me say this. I've talked to people who have you know, have written a lot, experts in the field, they seem to think that we will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I pray that we're not. Um, I'm believing in preventive medicine. Do what you can today to prevent the problems tomorrow. What are we going to do to secure the grid? And a couple of people that I talked to recently who are experts were saying to me, it's really not there yet, the securing the grid. Um, and that's really of a concern. That's the host of Good For You Radio and the founder of the Good For You Network, Claire Carter. You can learn more about Claire Carter at goodforyounetwork.com and listen to her at talkerslive.com. Coming up next, a look into what the heck is going on with Aaron Rodgers. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap.
Hey, fellow radio lover, there's something magical about a wireless box that pulls invisible signals out of the air and turns them into glorious sound. Vibrations that come out of the magic box as talk shows, news, sports, music, weather, and alerts of all kinds. No wires, no subscription costs. Just press a button and pick your frequency. The magic box of which I speak is radio. The elegant device that keeps you company wherever you go and whenever you need it. Seat Crane specializes in high-quality radios, AM, FM, shortwave, big ones, small ones, high-power ones, battery-operated ones, even ones with cranks when no power is available, and yes, radio devices that can even access the Internet. Seat Crane's the place to go to find a perfect radio for yourself or a cool gift for that radio lover in your life. Call 800-522-8863. That's 800-522-8863. Or visit them online at ccrane.com. That's ccrane.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison rap. This next story involves an issue having to do with the pandemic, but it comes via the angle of a sports hero. The now controversial star quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers. Joining us from Sports Talk Radio WFAN in New York is legendary Big Apple broadcaster Richard Neer. Well, it has become, as everything has these days, political. It has become uh, vaccination people who believe in the vaccines to people who don't. And Aaron Rodgers was trying to walk a very thin line. He did not want to decry vaccines and say they're no good, they don't work. He didn't want to be an anti-vaxxer. And yet he doesn't believe in them. Uh, And when asked point blank, because the National Football League does have a policy about getting vaccines and there are all kinds of restrictions if you don't, uh, he was asked point blank, have you been vaccinated? And he says, yeah, I've been immunized. Well, if you parse the words immunized, you can, I suppose, be immunized without a vaccine in his head, the drugs that he took, the things that he took. But when he said, yeah, to being vaccinated, he basically lied. Mm. And in this case, you know, the National Football League has taken a very strong position about this. And, and I won't attribute altruistic reasons to them. It's a lot about money. You don't want to miss games. You don't want to have people, uh, star players not playing and all that kind of stuff. So I can't attribute reasons for that for them. But he went against their policy. He's been fined. His team has been fined. But the biggest thing is he's lost the faith of a lot of fans who believed in him. I mean, he's done State Farm commercials. You've seen those all over the place. There was a healthcare uh, business in Wisconsin that he endorsed who has since dropped him. And uh, it makes him look like a very slippery guy because rather than say, no, I didn't get vaccinated, I don't believe in it, he tried to have it both ways. And then he attacks the media and he attacks the so-called woke people and the cancel culture for going after him. And he basically did this himself. What is the status of dealing with COVID in the NFL at this point? Well, amongst the fans, there there's not really much. I mean, you can go outside and, uh, you know, you can go as a fan to watch the games. However, With the players, it's a different story because they're in close quarters. They travel on airplanes and trains together. They, they work in small training rooms. They shower together even, you know, so they're, they're in close proximity. 
And there are rules with the NFL that you cannot go, let's say, to a party. Aaron Rodgers went to a Halloween party, maskless. Uh, if you haven't been vaccinated, you're not supposed to do that. If you've been vaccinated and you test positive for COVID, if you have two negative tests after that, you're allowed to play. However, if you haven't been vaccinated and uh, you are diagnosed with COVID, you are required to sit out for 10 days from the diagnosis, which is why Aaron Rodgers missed the Kansas City game last weekend. And uh, there is doubt about him playing this weekend as well. Now, the um, the loss of that game, uh, a lot of people feel Kansas City is not as good as they used to be, even though they're still a major force and a contender. And the um, Packers are among the elite in terms of their record this year. Um, some people pick them as a, for the Super Bowl. This was a terrible loss for them that didn't necessarily have to happen. Um uh, I would imagine that the Packers fans are terribly upset about the fact that Rodgers is not playing. Um, but um, more so, um, how are the Green Bay Packers as an organization implicated in this? You say they were fined. Um, were they part of this cover-up or were they blindsided by um, uh, Aaron Rodgers' uh, deceit? Well, he was doing press conferences without a mask, which is the mandate in the National Football League. And they were supposed to monitor that, and they didn't. I mean, you know, it comes down to, Michael, what it always comes down to, and that's leverage and value. Aaron Rodgers is a star. He was most valuable player. He might be the best quarterback going now. Tom Brady might have an argument with that. But, you know, the bottom line is he's a very valuable and very popular guy in the National Football League. So the league and the teams treat him differently. If he was just a, the 53rd player on the roster, I think they'd cut him by now, mm -hmm. you know, but he's so valuable that they kind of let him be a little bit more free than most other players would be. And so, so the, the, the reason that they're um, uh, fined and, and thus guilty of some type of infraction of the rule is because they didn't pay as much attention as they should have, is what you're saying. Yeah, they didn't enforce the rules as stringently as they should have for him. Has he lost his State Farm contract, or is that um, still in play? Do you know anything about that? No, State Farm has, has said that they stand behind him, that they stand behind uh, the freedom of choice to get vaccinated or not. Uh, they believe in vaccines, they, they say, but uh, they have cut down the number of commercials that he was on last weekend, for example. Uh, I think it was down to maybe 5% uh, of the number of commercials that normally run. Is Aaron Rodgers, uh, you say he's very popular and he's liked, but is he considered a, a good guy? Or, you know, you hear all the scuttlebutt about, you know, some, um, some athletes and heroes behind the scenes, you know, they're not liked by their teammates or they're difficult to deal with. I know that Aaron Rodgers has had some issues with the Packers for the past year, maybe longer, uh, whether he wanted to be with them or not. You know, it wasn't all lovey-dovey. What kind of guy do you know he is as a person? Well, he's estranged from his family. No one in his family will speak to him. So that tells you something. You don't know whether it's his fault or their fault. But, uh, you know, normally you work these things out with your family. And, uh, you know, he's gone through a string of very famous uh, girlfriends, media figures and actresses and such models, which, you know, star quarterbacks do. Uh, this thing that he did, though, is very, very anti-team. You know, it, it, it's not necessarily the decision, well, I'm not going to get vaccinated for myself. 
we make the case if you're going to be a hermit, live in a cave, and you're worried about your own health and nothing else, okay, fine, make your decision and, you know, so be it. But when you're in a team situation and you risk infecting your teammates or on a much more pecuniary level, you risk them losing games that they should win, which may affect their ability to go to the Super Bowl and make more money, fame, fortune, all that kind of thing, you hurt the team. So he doesn't come off as a team player in this. There are a lot of players who say, I don't, I don't want to get the vaccine. If I get COVID, I'm going to be okay. I'm young. I'm strong. All that kind of stuff. Okay. But I take it for the team because I don't want to hurt a teammate or a general manager or a coach who are older and in the more vulnerable population. You do a radio show on WFAN in New York, and you and I have talked before about um, how um, politicized even just doing sports talk is. How, uh, what, what type of reaction do you get from the audience? Uh, obviously, this is one of the main stories that you're talking about. Is it um, polarized and incendiary? It is. It is. It's uh, The whole vaccine thing has become so politicized that – if you criticize somebody for not taking it, you get it on one side. If you criticize somebody, hey, you got the freedom not to take it, you get criticized from the other side. So there's there's really no middle ground here, which I think is what Aaron Rodgers was trying to do. He was trying to walk the tightrope of saying, well, look, I'm not an activist. I'm not saying don't get it. You should get it if you want to get it. But, uh, you know, he hedged. And that was... <laughs> I guess he was trying to have it both ways, and uh, he was found out. Did you see any of his performance as the host of Jeopardy when he ran uh, uh, that string and um, performed on Jeopardy for a while several months ago? I'm not a Jeopardy fan, but I was told by a, a few people who were that he did a nice job. He did an amazing job. It was uh, it was remarkable, and uh, he came across as very smart. Um, interviews he has done subsequently um, about this particular news story have indicated in the minds of many he ain't that smart. Um, he, he quoted a lot of uh, what is generally viewed as misinformation, although that is not universally accepted either. That's why we have so much misinformation and disinformation is because we're not so sure how much mis and dis <laughs> disinformation is. Uh, I don't remember ever in my, um, my life or certainly in my career in the media basic um, – you know, as it says in the Declaration of, of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident. I've never seen a time where we don't hold almost anything to be self-evident. And I think that's at the core of our problem right now. What would you say? I'd say that's social media because you always had a so-called lunatic fringe. You always had a, a bunch of people who just didn't believe in anything, uh, anarchists, if you will, uh, people who don't believe in science scoff at these things. And now they are amplified. Uh, it used to be that they had a hard time finding a place to air their views. Now they, they can tweet and go on Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff, and their views get out there. And people read it and they tend to believe it as opposed to listening to the traditional sources, the government, the scientists, even the church at a certain point. Uh, people are skeptical about those sources when these are the people tried and true, the scientists who have spent their life learning about these things. And are they right 100% of the time? No, they're not. But the odds are much greater that they know more than they're talking uh, than some of the talk show people or some of the, uh, you know, Facebook people who, you know, just 
know a little bit, like the old cliche, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, and that's basically what it is. That's Richard Neer of All Sports Radio, WFAN in New York. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. The Kyle Rittenhouse homicide trial is underway in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and people are buzzing about it on American talk shows. Here to discuss it is our legal correspondent. He's a professor of law at Boston's Bentley University and the founder of Scamicide.com, Steve Wiseman. I've seen uh, many, many uh, homicide trials uh, over the years, and I have absolutely never seen anything uh, like this. Uh, It is incredible. You have... Rittenhouse, who was, uh, he's on trial for homicide for shooting three men after uh, demonstrations in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He is arguing uh, that it is self-defense, but this has become so politically charged. Even the terminology of the people who were killed, and even there, I have to be careful with the terminology, because the prosecutors uh, wanted to, and you would think they would be able to, uh, refer to them as victims. And instead, the judge doesn't allow that, uh, and it said they should be called looters. That's very, very significant. It is understandable in the sense that Rittenhouse is accused. He he has a presumption of innocence. We also have seen Rittenhouse himself on the witness stand, and uh, that is very, very unusual for a defendant uh, to testify. And he, he pluses and minuses. He broke down and cried, and quite frankly, he showed a human side that a jury uh, would, you know, could take quite favorably towards him. The other big, big story, and this is something uh, that uh, could be tremendous, is the judge has uh, yelled and screamed uh, at the prosecutors for what he feels is ignoring his advice in the presentation of evidence. I don't think that's accurate. On the other hand, I can see the judge's position in regard to uh, what the, uh, the prosecution did. Now, that being said, This occurred outside of the view of the jury. So juries always lean towards the judge. They trust the judge. And if a judge is angry at a side, they're usually taking that uh, as as very, very significant. But the jury didn't see it. The other huge thing is as a result of some of these really confrontations between uh, the uh, the judge and the prosecution and the prosecution's attempts to put certain things into evidence, uh, the defense has asked for a mistrial. What's really un- so unusual here is generally with a mistrial, it's something that is prejudicial that shouldn't have been allowed in and a ju- or the jury can't come to a, uh, a verdict. The trial is if it never happened and they get a do-over. The defense is saying that the prosecution is acting intentionally to cause a mistrial so that they do get a do-over, and they're asking for something called a mistrial with prejudice. In all my years, I've never seen that, and that is saying that the uh, the prosecution purposely is causing this trial not to go through, and therefore it should be not just dismissed, but the charge is dismissed, and he not be able to be brought uh, to trial again. If I were a betting man, and I am, uh, I don't think the judge will order a mistrial. Judges prefer not to. 
And even if somehow the judge does, I don't think he will do it with prejudice. But uh, this is a case that, you know, from the Monday morning quarterbacking, uh, the, the prosecution could have done a, uh, a better job. And uh, I think it's, it's anybody's call where this is going to come out. And, and, and clearly uh, this um, is influenced heavily by the misinformation and the heavy role of politics during these times when it comes to these issues that um, would have been much clearer in a simpler time from a standpoint of law. Uh, you believe oh. that the political aspect of this is uh, having impact on all of these uh, hitherto unseen turns of events? Oh, hugely. That's our legal correspondent, Bentley University and Boston law professor and founder of Scamicide.com, Steve Wiseman. Coming up next, a powerful conversation about race in America. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, G2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public. G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis. In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit Genesis2Project.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. Race relations was a big topic this past week in the talk media as the controversy over critical race theory bubbled to the top in the heated discussions about school board politics and the federal government has been playing tug-of-war with red state legislatures over the issue of voting rights legislation. Joining us now is the highest-ranking African-American host on the Talkers Heavy 100, Joe Madison of SiriusXM Satellite Radio. Radio's Urban View Channel. Joe has announced to the world that until Congress passes a voters' rights bill into law, he's going to go on a hunger strike. Bring us up to speed on um, the voting rights uh, bill that um, is at the center of uh, your hunger strike. Well, there's actually uh, three three uh, bites at the apple on this one, Michael. Um, there is, of course, the Freedom to Vote Act. Uh, then there's also the, uh, and they have various names, but the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act. Um, and, and, and then there is also a third opportunity for the United States Senate uh, to, uh, to, to protect our right to vote. And that is uh, basically adjusting or nuking or poking a hole. There's 
whatever you want to call it, into the filibuster. In other words, um, you know, quit stopping debate. Change the filibuster rules so that at least you can begin a debate on the issue of voting rights. So the United States Senate has three bites at this um, at this important uh, effort. There seems to be a movement afoot um, across the nation, particularly, of course, in uh, states, uh, red states, at state legislatures, um, to limit voting rights um, in the name of, um, you know, uh, voter integrity. Um, how, how, how do these two forces play against each other? Well, let me make, uh, let me make, uh, let me update you. Uh, there are actually now 400 uh, voter suppression bills that have been introduced in 49 states. Now, in several states, I'm not certain of the exact number, I think maybe it might be 13, 14, they have already passed this uh, legislation. Look, the whole purpose of these voting rights bills, whether it's the Freedom to Vote Act or, or the John Lewis Act, is to is in essence to prevent the nullification of states that want to exercise state rights. Uh, and to be quite candid, their argument is, well, the federal government shouldn't be interfering in uh, elections. But the federal government does have a role. It, for example, it sets the uh, the date, particularly of presidential elections. Uh, and and most important of all, because of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, uh, it, it, it it in fact uh, it tells uh, states that you know you just simply can't discriminate. Um, and and the and the reality is that this is just a ruse. Um, here's what it, here's what's happening, and that is in a, it's just an attempt to try to. Uh, suppress the votes of certain people, not only African Americans, but brown people, uh, I would say students. And uh, this, and I know uh, that uh, this past week, uh, this, you know, this week we celebrated or acknowledged Veterans Day. And these, these three acts uh, actually uh, benefit veterans who um, have difficulty, uh, some voting, particularly disabled veterans, because of certain changes. Mm-hmm. Look, my position, and I always, Mike, I always try to reference history. I go back to, and, and my concern is, the end of the first Reconstruction. This was the Rutherford B. Hayes uh, Tilden Compromise, where Southern Southern plantation owners, after they had lost the Civil War, the 14th, 15th Amendment was passed. African Americans, and particularly newly freed slaves, began gaining political power, holding office, sending members to Congress, uh, 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 controlling state legislatures. And this, this compromise then was with these Southerners to do what? to remove federal troops, in other words, to, uh, to uh, prevent the protection of these individuals who had gotten the right to vote. Well, here's what happened. If the, the, the Southern whites resorted 
to an ever-escalating campaign of racist terror and intimidation. And you had uh, shadowy groups like the Ku Klux Klan. They had uh, something called the Rifle Clubs. And all hell broke loose, Michael. All hell broke loose. And we as African Americans, my forefathers had to live with this 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 terror for almost a uh, hundred years. Hmm. Well, here we are now uh, in the 21st century, and we're seeing history repeating itself. Uh, and I I say to you, and I say to anybody listening. Uh, this is nothing more than an effort to, uh, to, to shed our votes, to suppress our votes. Now, what about this, uh, the hunger strike that you're on now? How, how, how are you uh, uh, doing it, and what, what will it lead to in, ter- in terms of when, how are you playing it out? How are you doing the hunger strike? What does it consist of? And what uh, must happen for you to um, end the hunger strike? I'll answer the uh, last question first, mm-hmm. and that is to pass one of any of the three uh, uh, proposed bills that are currently in the uh, Senate, number one. Number two, um, I, I basically have pledged that I will not eat any solid food uh, un- until our voting rights are, are, are protected. Um, look, I, my, my position is very simple, mm-hmm. and, and that is just as food is essential uh, to uh, life, our vote is essential uh, to, uh, to the life of democracy. And that's how I'm, I'm doing it. So I'm joining, I'm doing this in solidarity with uh, people of the, of, of, um, of the American way. They have had uh, demonstrations and plan to have more in front of the White House, uh, trying to get the attention of President Biden to encourage him to uh, do whatever he can to uh, eliminate the the, uh, filibuster. You have had members of the Congressional Black Caucus that have gotten arrested uh, in support of of their late colleague John Lewis's uh, uh, bill, uh, so what I've decided was like any demonstration, uh, there has to be tension. You get you, a demonstration is, 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 is a protest and the beginning is to draw attention, get the attention of those who can, uh, who have the power. Uh, and I'm adamant about bringing attention to, to this plight of, of protecting voting rights. And, and I want those in charge to understand somebody uh, truly cares. And I'll say this, and I've said it before. You know, people are saying, well, are you willing uh, to go? I mean, how, long, how far are you willing to go with this? My wife, uh, who, you know, Sherry, she, she, even after I went to the doctor just to get a baseline yes. of where I am. That's my next question. Um, she, she, yeah, she... And everything was fine. Doctor said, "Go for it." Wow. Um, you know, but but he also said you have to check in with me. Good. Uh, once a month, and 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 I know the concern is, well, you know, what about me? It's not about me. No. I've got four children, five grandchildren, one great grandchild, and I've got to tell you, I'm more concerned about what's going to happen to them 
and our country if, if, if our voting rights are not uh, protected. And, and that's really what it is about. Look, Michael, people have sacrificed more than not having solid food. Uh, there have been people who have sacrificed their life. Um, and I'm one of these individuals, and, and I firmly live by this creed, that it has to be more than a movement. It has to be, I mean, more than a moment. It has to be a movement. And all movements in human history, all movements in human history require sacrifice. And if I have to sacrifice whatever it takes uh, to, to make sure that the second Reconstruction, the power that we as African Americans, particularly uh, exercised this last presidential election, I, and I will do this because I don't want it to, when, when historians write 50 years from now, uh, that African Americans and others their voting rights weren't protected, and it was just a repeat of the end of the first Reconstruction, I don't want my children asking, well, what did he do? What did you do uh, to keep this from happening? And, that, and that's, that's, that's where I am with this. That's Joe Madison of the SiriusXM Satellite Radio Urban View Channel. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Since we're on the topic of race, let's approach the subject now from a different viewpoint. Last week, we ran an excerpt of a conversation I had with Fox Radio and TV talk show star Brian Kilmeade on my podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, about his new book, taking a historical look at the relationship between Abraham Lincoln and freedom fighter Frederick Douglass. Here's another quick bite from that larger interview. What are your thoughts about uh, the issue of race relations in America? Are we making progress or are we still going around in a vicious cycle? And um, what do you think the future holds for us? Well, I, I think, number one, it's always good to examine and see where things, people are being held back. My goodness, I, I'll give you the, see, the simplest thing is always sports. I remember Randall Cunningham was quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's running all around, making these great plays and changing the position. And people go, what an athlete. You know, what an athlete. Man, this guy can run. How do you stop this guy? And then I, I heard, I don't know, uh, another African-American member, it might have been Reggie Jackson, say, guys, what do you mean what an athlete? I mean, can you, if uh, a white quarterback is smart, he's cagey, he's good under pressure, a black athlete's an athlete. Why can't a, black, why can't a black quarterback be smart? Why can't a black quarterback be smart? I'm like, wow. I never thought about that. I, I didn't. Of course, they can be smart. But I never thought it would be taken as an insult. And the more you think about it, if you start listening, it's like you watch this guy avoid a tackle. You watch this, this eighty-yard throw by Michael Vick, and people go, "What an athlete!" Instead of "What a great quarterback." Mm-hmm. And then you realize we evolved. And then the beginning, yeah, why aren't there more black quarterbacks? I don't know. They're put in other positions. Was it intentional? Probably not. But it's just you. They're used to do it. Well. Let's make let's 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 let quarterbacks if they want to stay as quarterback. Let's let them play. And sure enough, most of the league is black quarterbacks, and they're fantastic as white quarterbacks. They're just quarterbacks. We made progress in the simplest term possible. Sports, the simplest term possible. Now, every kid, if you want to grow up and be a black quarterback, of course you could be a black quarterback. Which I'll give you dozens of examples instead of Doug Williams in the Super Bowl. You know, so now we made progress. And then, you know, Jackie Robinson bringing the color barrier is almost, the more you think about it, it's an embarrassment. Why did it take another hundred years to have a black professional baseball player? Why was it only ever normal to have Negro leagues? So now we look back and go, what were we thinking? 
And I see progress. And I don't see it as a white person of privilege. I, you don't need to know my background. It, I just look at myself as an American who wants to see progress made. And soon, I hope to reverse the hyphen. I want it to be American, Italian, Irish. American, African. American, Hispanic. We have to start understanding we're American now. We'll go back generations to understand what our heritage is, is important. But the most important thing is what we're doing now. And the minute we start being an American first, we'll realize how special this place is. That's Fox News radio and TV talk show host Brian Kilmeade discussing race relations in America. His newest book in a series of history books he's written is titled The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. You can hear the entire interview with Brian Kilmeade, from which that piece was excerpted, at mhinterview.com. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation, looking back at the week of Monday, November 8th through Friday, November 12th, 2021. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelattalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Wrap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications in conjunction with Talkers Magazine and Talk Media Network. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.